Well, I'm excited because this morning I get to keep talking about the gospel. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. Go ahead and get your Bibles out, pull your phone out, and get there with me. Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, as I was preparing this week, I, I read our passage out of several different Bible translations. I, I pulled some of my old Bibles off the shelf, which was uh, fairly encouraging and fun to read and see what, what notes, what highlights I had made in the book of Galatians uh, through many seasons of my life. It, it stood out and brought back some great memories of what uh, this small book of Galatians, uh, how it impacted my life. Some of those Notes going all the way back to high school where I was really digging in for the first time into the gospel and really coming to realize that there truly is no other gospel. Now, although I read all these different translations, there wasn't much differences that, that stood out in the translations. Pretty straightforward passage when it comes to translation. But one thing really did stand out to me as I perused my notes of Galatians 2, 1 through 10. And that was I didn't really have any notes or highlights. So it was fitting that I get to preach that section of scripture. But you see, it is kind of one of those passages that, that, that yes, we've probably all read, but it, it is an easy one maybe to, to kind of read through. Maybe we don't pause. There's not a, a key memory verse that, that, that pops out at us. And so it's easy to kind of, kind of pass by. There's, there's a bunch of parentheses in the passage, if you've been keeping up with our reading plan and you've read it, and you'll hear in a second as I read it, there's, there's parentheses, chalk those up to, to Paul's love of long, run-on sentences. If you ask my wife, him and I share that love. <laughs> Never try to edit my writing. But as I studied this passage, I came to realize how significant it is to, to the Galatians, to Gentiles, and really to us today, how significant it is in in Paul's story as he's sharing with the Galatians. In fact, it's an exciting passage, right? There's, there's some deception, some espionage. There's a, there's a fight for freedom. There's gospel partnership as they pursue gospel mission. It's like a good spy thriller. And Paul's using this story he's going to share with us today to call out those false teachers, that false gospel that has infiltrated the church in Galatia. Now, as we read our text, I want you to, to try something. Enter, entertain me for a second. I want you to imagine yourself actually being part of the Galatian churches. Clear your mind for a second. I know it's Sunday morning. You've had a busy week. You've probably had a lot going on. Some of you are just glad you only yelled at your kids a little bit on the way to church. But, but try to clear your mind and, and, and play along with me here. Follow with me. You're now a member of a church in Galatia. P perhaps you, you actually heard and believed the gospel for the first time from the very lips of Paul. This, this Jewish guy that, that came to town, you, you maybe heard about him because he was ruthlessly persecuting Christians, he was persecuting Christ's followers, but now he is in your town and he's proclaiming the gospel. He's telling you about how Christ radically transformed his life and how by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he can do the same in yours. He came preaching the good news. And praise God, you believed him. And then at some point, Paul moved on. He said, this good news is, is too good just to stay here in different cities in Galatia. I got, I got to keep moving on. I got to keep sharing the gospel with those who have never heard. And then at some point, these, these new teachers 
came to town. And, and they're t- teaching something. It's pretty similar to Paul, but, but they're making sure you know, you know, you know Paul, just, he just missed a little bit. Right, Paul, Paul wasn't one of the original apostles. He didn't live and walk with Jesus for three years. He kind of came afterwards. And, and Paul just, he just missed something. These, these new teachers were saying, yes, you gotta, you gotta believe in Jesus, absolutely, but you, you also need to get circumcised. You gotta follow those Jewish laws and customs. Right, Jesus was Jewish. The Jews are God's people, so you need to do everything you can to be just like them, right? And so there you are. And you're like, that makes sense. So you, you go along with it. You start believing in this Jesus plus. Jesus plus something else that you need to do. And now you find out Paul's written a letter. And you're like, well, may, maybe Paul's going to say the same thing. Maybe Paul's like, hey, I learned a little bit more. Let me tell you what's going on. You're not quite sure. So you, you assemble with your church And this letter is being read out loud. And as the letter begins, you realize Paul's kind of upset. He's upset at these false teachers, but he's also upset at you. He's upset that you began believing these different gospels. You're listening to these false teachers. And Paul's most upset, it seems, and most concerned that all of a sudden the gospel's not clear anymore. There's some confusion And so Paul's writing this letter, you realize, to make the gospel clear. There's only one gospel. It's God's gospel. It's not from man. Therefore, it cannot be changed. It's the gospel of Jesus plus nothing. Now, maybe the Galatian church version of yourself, after the the first chapter's read here, is feeling a little convicted. Paul's poking at your heartstrings. Perhaps maybe even one of those false teachers is sitting next to you, and you kind of awkwardly look over like, what you've been doing. Maybe their face is turning a little red. They're getting a little concerned. And, and now we're at chapter two. And Paul's going to share a story about a trip he took to Jerusalem where he ran into, in fact, the same false gospel, the similar false teaching. And he's just going to share a story with you. Let's look at that story. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Paul writes this. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet Because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go 
to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. As I said, there's a lot of parentheses. Maybe nothing jumped out to you right away, but there's a lot of meat in our passage this morning. You see, Paul's providing a a very solid defense for the gospel, but he's also providing a very strong offense against these false teachers in Galatia. Now this morning, as we go through this, we're gonna consider three things in regard to the gospel, three primary truths that we need to embrace concerning this gospel. We're going to talk about gospel certainty, gospel freedom, and gospel partnership. Let's begin with gospel certainty. You see, Paul wants us to know, he wants the Galatians to know and have gospel certainty. He wants us to know the gospel. He wants us to be confident and be certain of it, not be questioning it. So how does Paul go about by providing, go about providing gospel certainty? Well, as we said, he shares this narrative. He shares this trip he took to Jerusalem where he shares the very gospel that he's been proclaiming to the Gentiles. He shares it with the apostles, the leader in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem. We, We find out that's Peter, James, and John. As it says in verse two, Paul set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. By the way, I love that he says the gospel I proclaim, present tense, Paul's not stopping. Paul's gonna preach that gospel until he's blue in the face. So Paul sets this gospel before the leaders and what happens? Not to build any tension here, but we get right to verse six. He says, they added nothing to me. They didn't tell Paul that he he forgot something, that he forgot to add circumcision to the gospel. They didn't tell Paul it was Jesus plus the law, Jesus plus works. No, they added zero, nothing. So very simple, right here, Paul's gospels affirmed. The gospel, make no mistake about it. The gospel Paul preached is the same gospel that Peter was preaching, the same gospel that John and James are preaching. It's the same gospel, gospel. We gotta believe it, have certainty of it. Now, what's interesting though, right? Paul states his reason for setting the gospel before them, right? Verse two, his reason was to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, at first glance, right, this seems to indicate that, that Paul just wants to double check his gospel, right? He's like, oh, I, better, I better be sure, I better make sure I got it right. But I don't believe for a second that that's what Paul was actually doing. You see, I don't believe Paul was doubting the gospel. I don't think he was worried that he got it wrong and that he needed to double check this gospel that Jesus shared with him personally in his miraculous conversion, right? Paul was blinded on the road. He'd been zealously persecuting the church. Jesus stops him in his tracks, shares the gospel with him, commissions him to go proclaim the gospel to the uncircumcised. Paul's life completely changes. He does a full 180, and he's spent a bunch of time preaching that gospel. I don't think Paul's forgotten that moment. In fact, in Galatians 1, right, he just told them that if he himself or anyone else, even angels, preached anything other than the gospel that he preached, let them be accursed. I don't think Paul 
was backing down. He'd been preaching this gospel for, for 14 years when he went up to Jerusalem. He's been preaching it even, long, even longer than that when he wrote the book of Galatians. So what's Paul wanting to verify that he didn't run in vain? You see, quite simply, I think Paul was concerned about a lack of gospel certainty in the big C church. He was concerned about gospel certainty and thus gospel unity. You see, if Paul went up to Jerusalem and the apostles there said, no, no, Paul, it is Jesus plus circumcision. No, Paul, it is Jesus plus the law. Then Paul knew that would have split the church. Because make no mistake about it, Paul would have taken a stand and the church would have essentially split into this Jewish Christian church and this Gentile Christian church. And Paul would have felt his ministry would have been in vain because they would have been having that battle over and over and over for years. And if you don't think Paul would have taken a stand, come back next week when you're going to hear about Paul making a similar stand against Peter for a similar gospel issue. Paul wouldn't have backed down. You see, Paul was concerned that the gospel might get turned into a man-centered gospel. We see that in other letters. He was worried that it was going to become Paul's gospel. Peter's gospel, John's gospel, Harmony Bible Church's gospel. All of those would be man-centered gospel as opposed to the gospel. The gospel that transformed Paul's life. The gospel that he's trying to preach to the ends of the earth. The gospel that one day Paul's going to die for. And that gospel is clearly affirmed in our passage as Paul sets it before the leaders and praise God we have gospel certainty. Now before we move on, we've been throwing the word gospel around a lot the last few weeks. I've probably said it 50 times already this morning. So before we move on, let's talk about the gospel. Let's make sure that all of us, me included, have gospel certainty this morning. Let's begin with the word gospel. I'm sure many of you know this, but gospel literally means good news, good tidings. You see, in the ancient Greek, the ancient Roman worlds, it was a, it was a normal word. It was a secular word. It, it wasn't some spiritually loaded word. It was, it was actually a common word used to share important good news. It often was connected to providing some official authoritative royal decree or message. For example, say Rome or, or Greece, they're, they're, they're off to war. Rome at this point, Right? They win some big battle hundreds of miles away from home and then they, they send a messenger back to the Roman Empire, back to these cities to proclaim the gospel, the good news that they won a war. This big message, hey guys, we won, good news. That's how the word was used over and over. So the gospel, gospel was a declaration of an official message. It was about something that happened, something that already happened. It wasn't something you had to do. It wasn't something you needed to, to figure out to decode this cryptic message. It was declared facts about something that already happened. And you see this very word is the word that God chose to use to proclaim the good news. The good news about Jesus, the best news in all of history. So the gospel is the declared good news about Jesus about who he is, what he did, and what that means for us. It's not something you do. It's not something that you have to earn and decode and figure out. It is just a factual declaration of who Jesus is and what he did. It's good news about a victory. 
Christ's victory over death. You see how important that is when it comes to the conversation about legalism, about Jesus plus. The gospel is just declared good news. How could it be Jesus plus these other things you need to do? It's not about doing something or earning something. It's about what has already been done, period. Let's summarize this good news. Let's use Paul's own words to Gentiles, the gospel that he proclaimed in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, one through four, Paul says this. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it is. Paul proclaimed the gospel and he's gonna share the thing he received from Jesus Christ that transformed his life. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day with the, in accordance with the scriptures. This passage goes on and says Jesus appeared to Peter, he appeared to the 12, 500 others. That's the gospel. There it is. The power of God for salvation to everyone everyone who believes. It's the good news declared that Christ died for our sins, that Christ was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now the gospel goes much, much deeper than that. In fact, the the gospel, I believe, has no ends to its depths. We can dig into it. We can dive into it for our entire lives. And I don't think we're going to find the bottom of the depth of the beautiful news of the gospels. There's a lot of depth in that according to the scriptures, because the, the entire Bible, all of God's word, right, is pointing to the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's a lot in here. But at the very same time, make no mistake, the gospel is also that simple. It's not this complicated thing that you gotta figure out, that you gotta decode. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Now, why is that such good news? Why is that the good news? Well, quite simply, because we all need a savior. Right? We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve God's wrath, and we certainly don't deserve eternal life with him. But brothers and sisters, there's good news, because like a military messenger declaring the good news of victory in a battle, the good news of Jesus Christ is declaring victory in the biggest battle, the most important battle that everyone faces, good news in the victory over the biggest problem, eternal spiritual death because of sin. And the gospel declares that we have a savior. We have a conquering king who died for those sins, who was buried for those sins, and who was raised on the third day who conquered death. Jesus has achieved victory on our behalf. And brothers and sisters, all we gotta do is believe it. Have gospel certainty. And we can have that not because Paul preached it in Galatia, not because the apostles in Jerusalem believed it, not because you attend a church that preaches the gospel. All those things are good, but because it actually happened. Jesus lived. 
He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. The Savior of the world has come. Death has been defeated. And like Paul encourages the Corinthians, believe it, receive it, stand firm in it, hold fast to it, have gospel certainty. Because brothers and sisters, gospel certainty leads us to gospel freedom. Gospel freedom. Paul, again, wants us to have gospel freedom. One of the themes in the entire book of Galatians is freedom. Galatians 5.1, a common memory verse. For freedom, Christ has set you free. We like freedom, don't we? We do. It's one of our core values of, a, of our country, our culture. Many over the centuries have risked their lives to protect it. Many have died for it. Now, whenever I think of the word freedom, I can't help but think about that wonderful movie Braveheart, right? Where William Wallace, right, he's, he's played by Mel Gibson. I'm Scottish, by the way. I know my last name's DeLuca. It's very Italian, but I'm more than a quarter Scottish. It's my people. But William Wallace is fighting for freedom, right? And if this is a spoiler for you, I'm sorry. It's been like 30 years, right? But at the end of that movie, William Wallace is is strung out, he's being tortured, he's being killed, and with his last breath, right, he screams, freedom, and he kind of like trails off, It's, it's dramatic. He's proclaiming his desire for freedom, his fight for freedom. Now, I don't know if that's historically accurate that William Wallace actually screamed that out. Because I will tell you one thing, kilts weren't around at the time of that movie. So if you enjoy will, Mel Gibson in a kilt, it's not true. All right? Kilts are from the 1500s, the movie's 1200. You see how that works? Not accurate. But regardless, it's a great picture of the lengths that people are willing to go through to, to preserve, to, to secure, to earn their freedom. And I actually think that's fine. You see, I I believe we value freedom so much because God, in his divine mercy, created us. He made us to be free, not to be enslaved. But the problem is, friends, that true biblical freedom often isn't the same as what we think of as freedom in our culture. Our current culture likes to define freedom more as personal autonomy. We want to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's become the popular definition of freedom. But you see, God and his word points us to gospel freedom, not individual autonomy. Now, this is a soapbox issue of mine, so I promised myself I wouldn't go down this path. But I'm going to do it just briefly, all right? Bear with me. God made us for community, all right? The church is the body of Christ. We are one body made up of many members working together to be Christ's hands and feet. You see all that unity, that togetherness, that community? And then personal autonomy over here. You got that? You can think about that more. But God wants us to be free, have gospel freedom. And so this morning as we talk about that, I want to focus on the gospel freedom that that Paul is fighting for in our passage. The freedom that the gospel brings into your life by grace through faith and that Holy Spirit comes into you and sets you free. Look again with me, Galatians 2, 
verses three through five. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who they slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So here's what's going on here. Paul's just laid out this gospel. He's been preaching it. And now we have a a test case Right in front of us. Titus is our gospel freedom test case. Titus was a Gentile, uncircumcised believer that came to Christ from Paul preaching the gospel. Titus is real gospel fruit. So here's the test case. We have, we have Paul, Paul proclaiming the gospel. We have Titus, this uncircumcised Gentile believer. And then we have these, these false brothers that have, that have slipped in, snuck into the church, and they're promoting a new false gospel. Jesus plus circumcision. And this is in Jerusalem in our story that Paul is sharing, but it's the exact same false gospel, the exact same false teaching, the same scenario that was occurring in the Galatian churches. Now, by the way, for any kids or young adults left in here that you're not too sure what this circumcision word means, it's very important. It's all over the Bible. You need to know what it is. We're not going to go into it today, but you need to ask your parents. <laughs> and here's how I want you to do it. A lot of you are going to go to lunch today after church, hopefully a big crowded restaurant that's really quiet, and that's when you ask the question, what is circumcision? All right, kids, can I get an amen from a child? My kids will probably do it. That one might backfire on me. Anyway, these false brothers have snuck into the church in Jerusalem, just like in the Galatian churches. Elsewhere in God's word, they're called wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus knew this was happening. In fact, he, he warned his disciples of this in Matthew seven fifteen. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You see, Jesus knew we were gonna have to fight for freedom, fight for the gospel, fight for gospel certainty, fight to protect the sheep. People are gonna come and try to lead the sheep astray. But do you see what Paul's doing here? He's sharing this parallel story about Jerusalem. It's a real story, no quotes needed. But it exactly matches what's going on in the Galatian churches. He's calling out these false brothers. They were typically called Judaizers. They were preaching that to be saved, you gotta believe in Jesus, but you also have to do the Jewish laws and customs. Circumcision is the picture of that. That doesn't mean Jewish laws and customs are bad, but they are not necessary at all for saving faith in Jesus Christ. So these two gospels are, are laid out there. They're put to the test in Titus. By the way, this is subtle in the passage, right? But Titus is this believing, uncircumcised Gentile, and Paul brings him with him to the center of Jewish Christianity. The church in Jerusalem's full of Jewish Christians. This is like bringing an Iowa State Cyclones guy to the Iowa Hawkeyes game, and he shows up just decked out in Cyclone stuff, and you're like... Did I bring him with me? It's okay, we're all Iowans. But you see, Titus is this test case. He's not just in front of Paul, 
but he's in front of all of these apostles in Jerusalem. And so what happens? They're laid out, and the drama ends just like that, because absolutely nothing happens. The false gospel is denied immediately. Paul says it wasn't even considered for a moment. Nothing was added to the gospel. And why does Paul say, so that the gospel might be preserved for you? The Galatians, the Gentiles, for us this morning, brothers and sisters, Paul stood firm, nothing was added, so that we might have the gospel preserved for us today. Now remember, you're in the Galatian church, you're sitting there next to some false teachers. I imagine at this point, they're feeling a little uncomfortable. Perhaps some of them are sneaking out before the end of the service. Nobody does that, right? But why is Paul so passionate about this? Why is Paul all worked up in this letter? Because it's a big deal. This is about freedom, gospel freedom. It's a matter of life and death. If we add any requirements to the gospel, that's going to bring us into slavery. Freedom is on the line. You see, you can either be truly free in Christ by grace through faith in him, believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel alone, or we can have slavery and bondage as we try to earn our salvation by Jesus plus something else. Adding requirements to the gospel, bringing the law back in. And Paul, Paul doesn't want any of that. He wants us to be free. Let's broaden our scope a bit this morning for our own kind of personal application this morning in this picture of bondage and, and slavery. You see, every single one of us, you and I included, no one's left out, we all have a tendency to move back towards slavery and bondage. In our sinful flesh, that's, that's our tendency. That's what we're doing. We, we, we tend to move away from freedom in Christ and we, we try to add a little bit. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, or I can't stop doing that. You see, we're in a battle for our freedom in Christ. Now hear this, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus has already earned the victory. Our inheritance is sealed by the Holy Spirit in Christ for all eternity. We're good, but every day we're still in a battle. Still in a battle to live for Christ. Maybe an illustration will help. Imagine you're walking on a tightrope between two skyscrapers. I think a movie came out about this not too long ago. I've never seen it, so it could be awful. But there's a movie that came out. It's a depiction of Philippe Petit. He's a French high-wire artist, I think they call him. I don't know what he's painting, but they're artists if you walk across a tightrope. But what happened a long time ago, there was a tightrope sweat between the, the top of the Twin Towers in New York. So we're pretty high up. And he's going to walk across it. So imagine you're Philippe, and you've got to walk across that tightrope. And that tightrope kind of represents your, your Christian life. Your Christian life is, is on the line. Your freedom in Christ is staying on the tightrope. And, and on one side, right, we all like to look down. And so, so we look to our right, we, we look down and we could easily fall to our peril, to death. And on, on that side is legalism. It's the gospel plus, the things you need to do to earn God's favor, to earn your salvation, to make sure that you really deserve that free gift of grace. But Paul tells us that 
That brings us to slavery as well. That's what the false brothers were teaching. It brings us to bondage again as we try to earn our salvation and ultimately it leads to our peril. Which, oh, by the way, the whole Old Testament is telling us man cannot do it. We need a savior. But now on the other side of the tightrope, where we could easily plunge to our peril, is sin. You see, sin's the other way we tend to mess up our gospel freedom. We forget sometimes that living in continual sin is another form of slavery. You see, we're, we're called to be free to live for Christ, to live to glorify God, to live the way that God made us to live. We're not free to just keep sinning because that's actually another version of enslavement, being enslaved to sin. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may be abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, if we just keep on sinning, then in reality, we're no better off. We're enslaved to sin. We're not free in Christ. Now, don't hear this the wrong way. We're all going to continue to struggle. We're all going to sin, yes. But we're to battle it every day. We're to fight for freedom in Christ. We're not to return to the, to the bondage of the law or the bondage of slavery to sin. Christ has set us free. Now, in fact, that is a horrific illustration, all right? Do you understand why? Maybe you're sitting there actually imagining walking across a tightrope and your life in Christ relies on, on you walking across this skinny tightrope where if you make a mistake once, you fall to your peril. Brothers and sisters, that's not the Christian life. Now, fighting for the gospel, fighting for our freedom in Christ, is that serious? Your relationship with the Lord, your life in Christ, is that serious? But remember, there's good news. Because you see, Jesus has already walked the tightrope for you. Jesus is already on the other side. He's on solid ground. He's on the solid rock. In fact, he is the solid rock. And if you have faith and trust in him, you're already on the other side with him. The reality is there's no tightrope to fall off because you can't fall off. The life, your life and your Christian life feels like you're walking a tightrope as we fight sin, as we fight for gospel freedom. But in reality, the Holy Spirit's got you strapped in so tight that you can't get off the rope. You may be trying to jump off, you may be dangling by an arm, but the Holy Spirit's got you. We're secure in Christ. Now we tend to look down. We like to look over there at what we need to do to earn our salvation a little bit. Or we feel so free, we like to keep doing the things that we know we ought not to do. But you see, when we look down, we lose sight of Jesus who walked the rope, who's on the other side, who's calling you to come. Be in me. We can't lose sight of our freedom to live for Christ, our freedom to stop trying to earn our salvation, our freedom from sin. We can't lose sight of our gospel freedom. Brothers and sisters, for freedom's sake, Christ has set you free. And if you've been freed by grace through faith in Christ, then rest in that gospel freedom. 
I want to wrap up this section by reading a section of a sermon I found very convicting by George Whitfield, the great evangelist. He was, came to America preaching the gospel during the Great Awakening, found many people come to Christ. It's fantastic. And in this sermon, I think he does an excellent job going after our heart and our tendency for legalism. Now, the sermon was entitled The Method of Grace. You won't be surprised. George was a Methodist. And here's what he wrote. This was at least convicting for me. He preached this many years ago. He said, you must not be troubled. You must not only be troubled for the sins in your life, the sin of your nature, but likewise for the sins of your best duties, your best performances. When a poor soul is somewhat awakened by the terrors of the Lord, then the poor creature being born under the covenant of works flies directly again to the covenant of works. And as Adam and Eve hide themselves among the trees of the garden and sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, so the poor sinner, when awakened, flies to his duties and to his performances to hide himself from God and goes to patch up a righteousness of his own. Says he, I will be mighty good now. I will reform, I will do all I can, and then certainly Jesus Christ will have mercy on me. But before you can speak peace to your heart, you must be brought to see that all of your duties, all of your righteousness, as the prophet eloquently puts it, that he will see them to be filthy rags. I can do nothing without sin. And as one says it, my repentance wants to be repented of and my tears to be washed in the precious blood of my Redeemer. I know there's a lot in there, but brothers and sisters, it's about gospel freedom. It's about Christ's righteousness, not your righteousness. And I I hope you're hearing this because I'm there with you. It is so easy to believe the lie that even though you've received Christ, even though he's saved you, that you just got to do a little bit more to really be saved. You see what Whitfield was preaching back then is still true today. It's about gospel freedom. He's saying that genuine faith isn't just crying out to God to forgive you for the sins that you know about. It's also crying out to God to forgive you for trying to earn your salvation on your own. Trying to be your own savior. Trying to work for your salvation. Thinking that your good works even after coming to faith will save you. Brothers and sisters, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he offers us true freedom from both sin from works in Christ and in Christ alone. I hope you've been tracking with me this morning. Hope you've been encouraged by our text and refreshed in the truth of the gospel that many of you I know, praise God, have known for many years. And if you haven't really rested, I pray that God is sinking this truth into your heart by the Spirit so that you can have gospel certainty, that you can have gospel freedom in your heart this morning perhaps for the first time, by grace through faith in him. You see, friends, we need to be reminded of this because we can never move on from this. You've heard this said many times. This is why we got to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Every day, the gospel is good news today. It's good news yesterday. It's going to be real good news tomorrow as we continue to stumble and make mistakes.
We need to be reminded that we can have certainty and faith in what Jesus has done. That beautiful truth that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he conquered death. And if we're in him, that same promise, that inheritance is for us as well. We need to rest in gospel freedom. That even as believers, those good works that we get to do, the fruit that God produces in your life is awesome. Praise God. But hear me. It doesn't do one thing to improve how God sees you. I hope you do awesome things for God. I hope God uses you to bring hundreds of people to faith and praise God. That's awesome. But when when God looks at you, he doesn't say, Oh, he's just a little bit better. She's even greater. Because you know what he sees? He sees Christ's righteousness, and I don't care what you do, you're never gonna get that good. And that's freeing. That's freedom. If you're in Christ, you have his righteousness. You've been purchased by his blood. And when God looks at you, he says, well done. Good and faithful son. Daughter, you can't look better to God. So now what? What do we do with that amazing gospel truth? That amazing truth that we're called to defend, to stand firm in? Well, we tell other people, right? That's our application this morning. We need to join in gospel partnership. We need a partner for the gospel. I love the second half of our passage. I promise this is short. It's basically just telling us what happened. There's a lot of significance in it concerning the affirmation of the gospel, a a confirmation of Paul's ministry, his apostolic authority, and all that is awesome. But at the end of the day, it's this beautiful picture of gospel partnership, a picture of gospel unity. You see, we have Paul, Peter, James, and John. Don't forget that's over half of the New Testament authors, or half, they wrote half the New Testament, more than half the New Testament, all together, affirming the gospel, and what are they really doing? They're having fellowship. They're encouraging one another. They're affirming God's call on their lives. They're gospel partnering. Peter's gonna bring the gospel to the circumcised. Paul's gonna bring it to the uncircumcised. And although they have different mission fields, they're gospel partners. They don't forget about each other. They're encouraging one another. They're praying for one another. They're lifting each other up to go out and be gospel partners, to share the gospel. That's actually what the last verse is about. Maybe that's the memory verse that stands out, right? It says, only don't forget the poor. Don't forget to remember the poor, which Paul was eager to do. Now, all the commentators agree that the poor here is actually pretty clear. It's the poor Christian Jewish churches in Jerusalem. We're not going to go to the history of why they were struggling, but they were very poor. And we see throughout the book of Acts that as Paul's ministering to these wealthier Gentiles, that he was raising money and he was bringing it back to help his gospel partners. They didn't forget about each other. They're encouraging each other. They're partnering. But at the end of the day, you see Peter, James, John, and Paul. It's not about control. It wasn't about who was winning the most converts. It wasn't about who had the the biggest ministry, the biggest churches, who planted the most churches. It was about the gospel and the gospel alone, period. It says they give each other the right hand of fellowship as gospel partners. They're on gospel mission together. 
I think it's easy to miss the subtlety of how amazing this is. They got these people, right? We're just talking about these, these false teachers that, that snuck into the church that are trying to disrupt things. And how does the story end? It ends with the believers partnering to spread the gospel. They don't even waste a moment worrying about this Jesus plus stuff. They said, no, that's not it. We're going out to share the real gospel. And friends, that exact same gospel partnership is true for us today. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then you are a gospel partner. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're called to proclaim the gospel. We need to go out and proclaim it to unbelievers. Whoever you know that doesn't know Christ, but we need to proclaim it to one another and encourage one another, lift each other up, remind each other of our gospel certainty, remind each other that if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have gospel freedom. We need to partner together in the gospel. And I hope you've heard the gospel this morning. I hope you believe it. I hope you join in together in sharing it. So here's the application. Who are you proclaiming the gospel to? How are you a gospel partner? Our prayer time was about gospel partnership this morning, right? What is the the group of people, the individuals that God has placed on your heart that you are to go and share the gospel with? Perhaps it's someone in your family, in your home. I have seven kids. My wife loves to do ministry and it's so easy to look at what ministry we're not getting to do. Moms, I'm gonna talk to you for a second. If you got kids in your house, you got the best mission field right there in your home that you could give your whole life to, okay? There's nothing better. Share the gospel with them. When you sin against your kids, tell them the gospel. Tell them why you need forgiveness. Partner together with your church, with your husband to share the gospel. Maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's someone in your neighborhood Maybe you went to a secret church yesterday or maybe you've been praying for our field staff and and God is burdening on your heart that you're actually called to share the gospel with someone on the other side of the world that's never had a chance to hear the name of Jesus. Pray about it. Ask God who he would have you go to. That's what our field staff does, right? Our field staff are our gospel partners around the world sharing the gospel. Parnell shared this a little bit as well. We have a, a newer gospel partner in the City Hope Foundation. I'm gonna let you in on a secret. We started City Hope, yes, to help meet the physical needs, but make no mistake, it's about the gospel. The whole point is to build relationships, help people in their time of need, whatever they're struggling with, so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ, that we can offer them real city hope that only comes through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's get involved. Let's partner together. Who is God laying on your heart to share the gospel with? And brothers and sisters, there's freedom in that as well because at the end of the day, Harmony, we're not gonna reach every single person with the gospel. That's why we have Gospel partners throughout the world. That is what the Big C Church is. There's congregations spread throughout the world. Some we know, most we have no idea what they're doing, but at the end of the day, we are partnered together in the gospel to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, and there's not a darn thing anybody can do about it. Amen? Amen. We're gospel partners. Let's get in the game. Let's not get bogged down by sin or legalism. Let's not get distracted by Jesus plus anything. Let's pay no attention of that, not even for a moment, and let's just focus on Jesus. 
Let's take the gospel. Let's share it. Let's have gospel certainty. Let's have gospel freedom. And brothers and sisters, let's partner together in the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.